We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. It's political season, and we have about one week before the primary elections here in Oklahoma, which take place on June 28th. All of us are getting a lot of political propaganda right now. But the question is, how do you know who's telling the truth? And are the contents inside the box consistent with the labeling? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is truth in advertising, as it relates to the conclusion of this particular political season. If you live in Oklahoma, you know that the primaries are coming up on June 28th, six days from now. And we're all getting the political propaganda in the mail, on the radio, in the newspapers, and even door-to-door. As a segue and a bit of self-disclosure here, for those of you who don't know, I'm running for political office as county commissioner in District 1, Osage County, the county in which I live here in Oklahoma. So yes, I've put together material. I've sent it out. I've put it in the newspaper. I've discussed it as I've gone door to door, trying to explain to people who I am, what my values are, and what kind of person I am. Um, We do this, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, the word propaganda comes from the root word, to propagate, to promote, to tell people, to hold forth who you are, what you believe, and what your values are. And that's okay. In fact, we need to know that, but there needs to be consistency and honesty there. And I think as we move into the final phase of a political season, we all are a bit jaundiced because we've been told over and over again things that we're not sure whether or not we can believe. This is the nature of the political debate in our country right now. Has it ever been any different? I don't know. But we do know that today we all are a bit suspicious as we listen to people, whether it be political or even if if it be social, whether it be relational. Even when we listen to the media talk about health care, for example. I was talking to one of my sons last night, and we were talking about how no one believes any information any longer with regard to January 6th, or whether it be COVID-19, vaccines, masking, etc., etc., because we all feel that we have been sold a bill of goods, that we have been told something on the outside of the packaging, on the outside of the box, that is inconsistent with the product that is on the inside. And that's what I want to talk about today, truth in advertising, and what Jesus actually says about this, because he does cover this. In fact, he covers it in a way that is so clear that many people quote part of his sermon on this particular issue without recognizing that they're missing the core of the message. So when Jesus says, judge not lest he be judged, is that the end of the story? Is he telling us, don't make any judgments at all on what the product is? You know, if they say something on the outside, Don't worry about what's on the inside because it's not your business to make that judgment. Is that really what Jesus is saying? 
Obviously, I don't believe it is. And we're going to cover that and more after this break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. I think the title for the rest of the show could be this, Be What the Box Says. Now, what do I mean by that? If the labeling on the outside of the box says that it is sugar, then you don't want to be surprised when you open it up and pour it on your cereal and find out that it's salt. Obviously, you want to find out that what is on the inside of the box is consistent with what the labeling said about it on the outside of the box. Shakespeare once covered this when he said, Oh, what may man within him hide, though angel on the outward side. One more time on that. Oh, what man may within him hide, though angel on the outward side. What's he saying? That we pretend to be stuff we're not often. We pretend to be angels. We try to put on airs, making ourselves to appear as saints, when really on the inside we may be devils. And we do a pretty good job of hiding it. That's the Piper paraphrase of Shakespeare there. So when politicians, or anybody else for that matter, adopts a given label, when they, when they print something on the outside of the box, portending to be something on the inside, I think we need to ask some good questions that will expose the consistency or inconsistency therein. For example, um, can you provide me some evidence as to why politically correct justice is right and biblically correct justice is wrong. Do you understand why I'm asking that question? We hear people talking about standing for justice all of the time. Nobody stands against justice. But why is politically correct justice right, but yet someone standing for biblically correct justice is wrong? There's inconsistency there. What they're exposing in that inconsistency is the measuring rod that they're using to measure justice. Politically correct justice uses man, uses politics, uses power to measure what's just. Biblically correct justice makes man subservient to some higher standard. Revelation. The revelation of God is the definition of what's just and unjust rather than political power. So asking that question will expose what the person actually means when they're talking about standing for justice. Here's another one. Can you tell me why denying the biological fact of the female is right while defending the empirical reality of a woman is wrong? Again, these people that claim to be pro-woman are the same ones who are denying the biological fact of the female, and they're claiming that it's right to do so. But yet they'll scream bloody murder at me for being wrong in trying to defend the empirical reality of a woman. So why in the world would you claim to be pro-woman, uh, Me Too, for example, while telling me that you can't even define what a woman is and that you think it's all right for a man to steal a woman's identity and dignity and all of the rights and privileges that our government has rightfully given to women, granted to women, acknowledged for women throughout the march for suffrage and equality? Again, this exposes the false nature of the advertising. People that claim to be pro-woman on the outside, but yet really aren't on the inside when you expose the reality of that product, of the packaging, the inconsistencies therein. Here's another question that'll expose the 
truth in advertising or lack thereof? Uh, Why is killing our youngest children right while fighting to protect those children from a political party that's hell-bent on their execution wrong? Again, we're talking about judgments of right or wrong here. Isn't that really what the political debate is about? We choose to vote for one person because we think they're defending what's right and opposing what's wrong? I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, uh, conservative or progressive. You do believe in certain things as being right and certain things being wrong. You, for example, if you're a progressive, probably think that abortion should be defended and that those fighting for the right to life are in the wrong. But again, I want to ask a question here. If you really believe in humanity, if you really believe in the woman's right to choose because she's a human being, and that she's not chattel, she's not a slave, she shouldn't be held in bondage by by anyone else, that she has equal rights, equal dignity, she has equality. If you really believe that, then why would you fight for the right to execute other human beings? In other words, your entire worldview is grounded in the supremacy of human dignity, but then you turn around and diminish it by arguing for the extermination of given human beings because you've decided not to grant them any dignity because of their vulnerability, age, location. Here's another question that I think exposes the issue of packaging, advertising, and contents. Is there consistency? Is there truth in advertising? Is the outside of the box and what it says about itself consistent with what's on the inside. Here's a question. Um, Can you tell me why it's ever right to hide the physical consequences of unbiblical sex while it's wrong to educate people about its harmful effects? So if you want to talk about sex and sexual health and sexual freedom, Don't you think we should be talking about the consequences of those given decisions? Is there empirical evidence, scientific evidence? Forget the discussion of religion and morality here for a second. What does the data tell us about the consequences of given sexual choices? Is there a certain way of life that will result in you being healthier than another way of life? Why are we afraid to talk about this? So if you want to talk about sexual freedom sexual health, if you want to talk about uh, prevention of STDs, if you want to talk about prevention of unwanted pregnancy, don't you think we should talk about the given behaviors and which ones work better to prevent those unwanted things, whether it be disease or whether it be family planning? Does that make sense? So I want to know if you're telling the truth about who you really are. If you really care about sexual health, then why not talk about biblical and unbiblical standards for sexual behavior? What's wrong with that? Here's another question. Please, please explain to me why it's right for the state to presume to define marriage, which has historically been a sacrament of the church, while fighting to keep the government out of the church's business is wrong. You get my point there? Okay, so the progressives will shout that it's right 
for the state to intrude into the church, violate the separation of church and state, jump over that wall with, with great glee, essentially tear down that wall separating the church from the state, but yet they'll then turn around and scream that they believe in separation of church and state anytime somebody that goes to church wants to talk about a moral standard that they learned within the church. Oh, and these moral standards apply to everything, by the way, including the issue of marriage. Again, marriage has traditionally been a function of the church, a sacrament. If you're Catholic, you certainly believe that. But yet today we have politicians that claim to stand for that separation, doggedly so, who are jumping over the wall, breaching that wall, that separation, and assuming unto themselves the definition of things that are really none of their business, such as a very sacrament of Christianity, of the church, and that is marriage. Another question I have that exposes this inconsistency, the lies of the marketing, saying something on the outside of the box that is not consistent at all with what you find on the inside. Uh, This question that I'd ask would go something like this. Can you help me understand where the confiscation of private property, that is stealing it through taxation, debt, and inflation, is right, while defending the rights of all citizens to work hard and enjoy the fruits of their labor is wrong. So again, we've got discussions of right and wrong, judgments here. That's why I keep asking these questions in this way. Why is one thing right and the other thing wrong? I'm exposing the reality that whether you're on the right or the left, you're making judgments. So don't tell me Jesus says, judge not lest he be judged. If you want to go there and cherry pick that verse, everything you believe is a judgment of whether or not it's right or wrong, at least within the context of these questions that I'm asking. So if you believe, if you've made a judgment that higher taxation and inflation and debt are right, but yet you turn around and criticize somebody like me that says, I want those things to be reduced, if not eliminated completely, and just give private citizens the right to work, keep their property, and enjoy the fruits of their labor, and you're going to call me wrong? I want to know why. Don't tell me you're defending the private citizen if you're going to take his private rights and his private property away. Here's another question that exposes some inconsistencies. Can you give me any evidence that ignoring our nation's sovereignty is somehow right and just while defending our country's border, as God told Israel to defend its own, is wrong? So this this is a question of immigration and borders. The left will tell us that ignoring our sovereignty as a nation is, is the right thing to do, that we're American exceptionalism, defending our borders. It's immoral to talk about America being better than any other country, and we need to have a porous border and let anybody and everybody come in just because. And that's, that's the moral thing to do. And then they'll turn around and accuse those that believe in defending our country's borders like God told Israel to defend their own as, as being wrong. I, I want you to explain that to me. How can you defend our Constitution and our nation, which you pledge to do if you've been elected to office, but yet then turn around and say that you think the borders of our country and our Constitution are somehow evil and wrong? I could go on and on and on asking these rhetorical questions. In fact, I'll, I'll rattle off a few more here. Please, please, please share your evidence proving that the indoctrination of our children in schools committed to moral nihilism is right, while training up our children in the way they should go is wrong. 
please tell me why you think denying God's existence and expunging any mention of him from our courts and our Congress and our classrooms is right, while honoring him as the author and giver, giver of our unalienable rights of life and liberty is wrong. Again, these are questions of right and wrong. These are judgments that people are making in the political debate. And I want you to answer these questions if you're trying to get me to believe you and vote for you. Please show me where dividing our country by race and color is right while working to unite it by virtue and character is wrong. This is the question of critical theory, critical race theory. It seems pervasive right now, not only in our, in our cultural debate, but even from our pulpits within the church. People are dividing the country. People are talking about black versus white, Hispanic versus black, black versus Hispanic. We're dividing people rather than uniting people. We've become the divided states rather than the United States. As I've talked before on this show, I was the president of a university, not a diversity, because we stood for the unity of veritas, the unity of truth. Now you tell me why I'm wrong for emphasizing those important things, those values, and why you're right for talking about division by race and color. Another question is, provide evidence, please, showing that the constant emphasis on identity and victimization is right, while focusing on personal responsibility and obligations is wrong. Can you tell me where God ever, ever blesses and protects a people who deny his existence, who boo him? at their national conventions, which, yes, the Democrat Party has, who mock his minimal standards of morality, who celebrate the killing of his youngest children, who debauch five- and ten-year-olds on their altar of sexual politics, and who define themselves by their behaviors, behaviors that God himself calls damnable. I I want you to answer these questions, and I want you to tell me where any of this lunacy is right, and why my challenging of it politically and morally, theologically, sociologically, why challenging it is wrong. When I say this stuff is suicidal, why am I wrong and why are my opponents right? And when I talk this way, am I consistent with the way I write, with the way I speak, with the way I behave? Or do I just put on airs and put on a show to get your vote? These are the types of questions we should be asking. Now, my argument here isn't to tell everybody what candidate to vote for. You might think that's where I'm going right now. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about which candidate to vote for as much as I'm talking about what people claim to believe. And if there's no consistency in their marketing and their packaging with who they really are, if the box says something on the outside, but yet the way they answer these questions on the inside is different. We, sh- we should judge. In fact, we're told to judge. I'm going to get into that right now. Okay? In, in the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us a ton of evidence of who the enemy of Jesus is. Oh, did Jesus have enemies? Well, even the left will admit that he did. Um, because we know that Jesus actually confronted some very specific things. Um, And and the the people he confronted, the things he confronted, are sometimes surprising. You might expect that Jesus' enemies were 
the traitors of Israel, people such as tax collectors, people who took advantage of their own people. Or you might think that Jesus' enemies were the Romans. You might think that the enemies of Christ would be the murderers, the thieves, the prostitutes, the adulterers. But we see many recorded examples in the Bible of Jesus actually consoling and forgiving these kinds of people. And that's where we often hear people say, well, Jesus said, judge not lest he, lest you be judged, because Jesus hung out with murderers, thieves, prostitutes, and adulterers. So who are you to call these things wrong? Well, that's, that's terrible exegesis. That's terrible interpretation of Scripture, because Jesus never condoned prostitution, theft, murder, or adultery. He forgave people when they were remorseful and repentant of those things. Remorse and repentance was critical. Okay? So the scriptures don't paint a picture of any of these people being enemies of Jesus. The, the, what they do say, what the scriptures do say, is that Jesus forgave such people when they were repentant. And often it was those people who recognized their brokenness and were willing to come to Jesus and say, please forgive me. I know what I've been doing is wrong. But there was a group of people that um, Jesus did confront, and he confronted them very aggressively. Now, you might know where I'm going with this. The, the people that Jesus had the most confrontations with would have been the political, academic, and religious elites of his day, the smarter-than-thou folks, folks that we call Pharisees. These were the most educated and politically sophisticated people of their day. They were the lawyers and the teachers, uh, the preachers. They were akin to politicians that walk the halls of Congress today or, you know, the leaders of our mainline churches or even some of the faculty that we mix with at our colleges and universities. These were the keepers of the law. They were the law experts. They were supposedly the exemplars, the people that followed the law. And then they also presumed to tell everyone else which laws they needed and which laws they considered to be spurious and um, needed to be changed. They were so serious about this issue of law and legalism that they kept adding to the laws. They had laws out the wazoo. Sound familiar? These people were the moral authorities of their time. These were the people that defined justice. They didn't say, judge not lest he be judged. They judged everything. Again, sound familiar? They defined what was good and what was bad and what was right and what was wrong and what was true and what was false. They defined mercy and justice. Now, at, at first blush, you might conclude that this, this, these upstanding law-abiding folks would be the first ones to align with Jesus and Jesus with them. But that wasn't the case. You know that. Jesus called these people whitewashed tombs, wolves and snakes and vipers. Does it sound like he was judging them? I mean, those, those are pretty harsh labels to put on the box, right? So Jesus recognized that you know, the outside looked like a polished, polished sepulcher, a whitewashed tomb, but the inside was full of rotting decay and bones. But these people, if, if there were any that were enemies of Jesus, it was these folks. Now, the question is why? It's obvious here. Because they were false. They claimed to be one thing when in fact they were another. 
when, when you put pressure on them, when you pressed them, um, their souls poured forth contempt rather than confession. They oozed self-righteousness rather than repentance and hypocrisy rather than integrity. They were men and women of vice rather than virtue. And Jesus named those who didn't practice what they preached. He named them something. He, he, he named them, like I said, dirty cups, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, wolves in sheep's clothing, called them snakes. He said that their souls were full of death and decay. He lambasted these people, those who pretended to be something that they were not, those who lied to themselves and who were lying to others. It was these smart folks who, be, who appeared to be Jesus's only enemies. But I want to say this as we get ready to come into the home stretch of this show. Before any of us, myself included, you, me, anyone else listening right now, before we're too quick to jump up and say, go get him, Jesus, you might want to take a moment for a little personal reflection. Are we, you and me, really any different? When we are pressed, when pressure is put on us, what pours out of us? What pours forth from our soul? Today, we've got a lot of people who claim to be Christians, conservatives, but they're Pharisees, and they don't hold any internal consistency of conviction. We've got politicians that want power and authority, but when it comes to interpreting God's word, they lack any inner feeling, dedication. Um, they're hypocrites. They're, they're not consistent. They're not integrating their head and their heart, their facts and their faith, their belief and the behavior. They want to be known as something. They want to dress up like something. They want to dress in sheep's clothing, but they're really wolves. On the inside, they're full of death and decay, while on the outside, they're telling you something that's very different than who they really are. When they're squeezed, they reveal what's on, in, on the inside and that they show they have a different core than what their outside portrays. So here's the moral of the story. If you want to know who someone is, look for consistency and integrity. And just because they label themselves as conservative or Christian or progressive or a populist, it, it, the labeling really doesn't mean anything. I had a mentor once that once told me the best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. Behavior matters, and you are to judge because you know a tree by its fruit. There's consistency there, and if the fruit is rotten, the tree itself is corrupt. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.